to this episode of What's Your Favorite Scary Movie? I'm Verona. I'm Sarah. And today we're going to be talking about the eighth installment in the Saw series, Jigsaw. Yay! <laughs> she's a controversial one, but she's she a fun one. I don't have as much, like, rage towards the protagonist in this one like I did for the last episode with Bobby Dagan. In some, before we jump right into Jigsaw, in some really, really exciting news, because we're recording this on the 6th of February, Verona has officially joined the Babylon Hive. Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, I have. I fucking love that movie. So now we've watched it together twice. By the time this comes out, it'll at least be like 17. I know, it's going to be a lot more. Can't wait to look back when this comes out and be like, it's been way more time since then. I know, because this will be coming out quite a bit later, but um, such a such a movie. This movie hasn't even been out for a week yet on video on demand. You've already watched it six times. Mm-hmm. I've watched it twice. Well, I've only watched and it- And we're going to watch it again this weekend. I know. We've, I've only watched it twice on video on demand. The other four times oh, in three theaters? times. I've watched it three times on video on demand. Because I was like, oh, we only watched it twice. But I watched it the night that it came out on video on demand. Um, and then the next day we watched it together. So I watched it two days in a row there. And then we watched it again the other night. So, Oh, you saw it thrice in theaters. Thrice in the theater. Yeah. It's not, It's like, you know, that's a good like nine hours and 45 minutes in the theater. That's like an almost 10 hour <laughs> theater marathon if I had seen it all at once. Um, if I watch it two more times, I'll have watched it for a full day. So that's like a fun little... Well, now we have to. <laughs> Let me pull up my Jigsaw notes. They're like a little ways down now because we watched it a little while ago. We hadn't had the time to sit down and actually like record and then stuff kept getting in the way. So where does this one fall for you on your ranking, at least so far? Is it it's pretty low or...? Listen, when this one came out in theaters, I loved it so much. I was such a fierce defender of it. But now after watching it years later, after like doing the entire series, I'm like, I don't know where to put it. It's either above four and five or in dead last below it. <laughs> but I can't figure it out. It's really because, tough like, to rank them when you do generally like all of them. Are you like a, something about all of them? Yeah, like there's something good about everyone, but I feel like since this one has such a different vibe shift than like four and five, even though four and five aren't my favorites, they still feel more like a Saw movie to me than this one does. Not that this one doesn't feel like a Saw movie, but like I said, when we were watching it, it feels more like it should have been categorized with Spiral, mm -hmm. like a book of Saw, which I feel like that's kind of what these new sequels are, kind of more of like a book of Saw versus the main seven. The thing that's tying them, that's keeping them away from being Book of Saw, though, is, of course, that they are part of the... Not that Spiral's not part of the canon, like, it has been established that it's part of the canon, but um, obviously what keeps this as part of the, the core canon is that it involves um, part of John Kramer's story. You had said that when we were watching it. You said this feels, stylistically, way more similar to Spiral than it does to the other Saw movies. And I don't know if that's maybe just based on the fact that they took such a long gap between making them or like and that's why it maybe felt natural to go in like a different direction but also i think it's different director yeah this one is directed by um directed by michael and peter spirig i'm not sure if that's exactly how you pronounce it but um 
this one was written by Josh Stolberg, who also did Spiral. So, and he's doing Saw, he's also writing Saw 10, so. Yeah, this one just feels different, but not entirely in a bad way. But I think I said when we were watching, this one feels like the total shift into red. Whereas like the, like, I think starting with like four and on, like since the beginning, there's been like red in the Saw movies, but it felt like gradually it was getting more and more where this one immediately like went red and like warmer colors. Whereas for me, the original first three feel very green and blue uh, and white. And then it kind of shifts a little more industrial, a little more grays, a little more blues. Now it feels very red. And then same with Spiral, since it's supposed to be like the summer, it's like yellow and red and other colors, but I like it. I like, I have to, I have to bring up Spiral in every episode that we do, but you're, you're right. Like it's, it's, it feels hot when you're watching it. And this one feels like more, it's bright. Like it's like springtimey, at least in the outdoor shots. Like it feels very like brightly lit, very like mainstream looking. Like it doesn't feel like it has too much in common, I guess. Yeah. Color wise with the others. But like you said, they did shift a lot into red. There's also like no metal. I miss the metal music in Saw movies. That's like what made it. It feel like I know it's like a very different shift, but I also just think it was it fits the time of the horror movies that it's released in, if that makes sense. Because like you know how early two thousands horror movies all kind of feel similar. Like I feel like House of Wax and like The Hills Have Eyes and the remake, not the yeah, like that all feels like oh yeah, like that's a very distinct specific style. And then I feel like the twenty tens now have like a very distinct style but all very kind of similar to each other like when you watch a horror movie from that decade kind of like scream 4 that is the exact it feels yeah you get it i do get it you know what it looks like to, like to be honest it doesn't and not in a totally bad way it looks like a big picture like a big just generic movie theater picture like it doesn't um it yes. doesn't feel like it's like the, even the other saw movies like despite the fact that they were also theater releases they had like the vibe of them was weird they looked the vibe looked different um and this one looks like literally any movie if you took a shot from jigsaw like and it wasn't you know if it wasn't like a trap or something like that you could show someone a shot from it and they would not be able to tell you what movie it was from at all it would just be a movie that had a big budget that was in theaters. That's exactly it. And like you said, not in a bad way, just a like a distinct way where we, we can feel that it's different. Because like the Saw movies, I feel like they were so iconic because they kind of had their own like stamp and their own look. They had their own aesthetic, their own editing. I miss the editing so much, the chaotic jump cuts and like quick spinning. I hope that we get that back in Saw 10 along with the metal. That's my hope. But I, I I loved this one when it came out, like, so much. Uh, I also love Eleanor. I was about so to say, much. the redeeming, the biggest, like, redeeming thing for this. Like, every time I think about how I'm like, oh, I would maybe rank this, like, a little lower. I remember Eleanor. And I'm like, ugh. But that gets, like, there's there's points there. Like, not even the fact that she is just so incredibly gorgeous. Like, I'm in love with her. I love the aspect that they brought in of a Saw fan, finally. Like, a Jigsaw fan. Like, a true crime girly in this universe. Kind of, like, them bringing in the support group. And, like, I like the little... I like the little... They're kind of almost not background but they're not like the main plot and they're not like essential to the plot but it's important for us like as fans it's just really good world building it just like yeah. makes it a little richer and like a little less one-dimensional 
Especially since this entire time we've been talking about how if we were in the Saw universe, we would be like a true crime girly that was obsessed with him, completely forgetting about Eleanor. And then we watched this one and we were like, wait, that's a, that's who we would be. That's we like, us. Wait, we just um, stole that idea. <laughs> we were kind of trying to make an effort to talk about the traps versus the A plot versus the B plot, which is a lot easier to do in the first seven Saw movies, <laughs> or at least like two to seven, it's like a little easier to separate the two plots from each other. This one, it's basically impossible. I feel like we're just really gonna have to just go for it as relatively chronologically as we can because they are tied together so tightly. The opening shot of the coiled up spike tread that like the cops use to stop cars or whatever, I don't know what the technical term for those things is, but that opening shot where it's the spiral that's like full of spikes, I was like, I love the spiral imagery and we didn't get, it felt like we didn't get a ton of that in like, I mean, we did get the the dream sequence with the train that had like the spiral on it, but I feel like the spiral imagery wasn't used as intensely for the last little while. So it was really nice to see it. No, I loved that. I think that was such like an amazing opening shot and then kind of just kicking it off like right away, you know, feels very classic early Saw, but I also kind of miss just the feeling of like the opening trap. I think that's a big reason why this one feels more like just like a generic big budget horror movie versus like a Saw movie is the fact that it starts with like a kind of a world building like start like with the cops, with Edgar, and then we get into the trap versus I think every other Saw movie, literally every single Saw movie opens with a trap or either where we left off from the previous one. And I just miss that. I miss the like big opening opening trap. This movie has all of the the pieces of a Saw movie. It just feels like they were kind of arranged differently and it that's really what kind of makes it feel a little disconnected even though, you know, not like we said, not a bad thing. It's just definitely, yeah, you can... The formula, they changed the formula a little bit. Um, when we're discussing this today, it's going to be hard to do a plot A talk and then like a plot B talk, which is really like the formula of at least two to seven. So... That even feels a little different that like there's never a moment that's not both plots happening really loudly at the same time. No, I was just going to say that this one feels kind of disjointed for me because it just feels like a bunch of different Saw movies put together. Like I have in my notes, it's like five, two and three is where I get the most from. I kind of figured this one out easier than I did any other Saw movie because I was like, oh, we've seen this before. We've done this before. Like, this is what's going to happen. And then it did. And I was like, okay. It wasn't ever like how in every single other Saw movie, there's like that big unraveling at the end where like each piece just keeps hitting you and you're like, oh my God, a reveal. Oh my God, another reveal. And it just keeps getting like, like zooming out towards the big picture. And it's like, this one just kind of felt like, oh, okay. Yeah, not in a bad way either, not like in a disappointed way, but just like, yeah, that that's what I expected. It did something super ambitious with the, the two timelines happening at the same time, but not telling you. Like, it was really ambitious in that way, but it also did, like, to its credit, wrap everything up very neatly. Like, it was able to start a new story and then also neatly put it together without it seeming, like, you know, too, too messy or too all over the place. Um, and one of the things I had here is that you mentioned that the bucket trap that we see in this movie a couple of times, um, like in the, the old game and the new game, um, is very similar to the first trap for the Fatal Five. It's just kind of neat to see which of the things that they put into Saw 8 that um, would have influenced 1 to 7, if you're like as part of the canon. Um, 
I mean, there's no point saying spoiler alert if you're listening to this, but Jigsaw Saw 8 is a prequel to the entire Saw series, um, which you don't find out until the end of the, the movie. But I mean, it's it's half a prequel and half not a prequel. Like it is taking place in two timelines. It's taking place before all seven movies and then also taking place after all seven movies, which sounds so stupid when I say it like that. But it, there's two timelines happening at the same time and you're kind of spending the movie trying to figure out how they how they converge and like when things are happening. Um, oh, you're right. <laughs> it uh, No, that's the perfect way to explain it though because it is half of it takes place before like what 2006 is when it starts the other half takes place in 2017 i think that's when it's meant to be um yeah no i like put what each trap reminds me of because like literally every single trap in this one and like some other details all remind me of of different traps once again mostly five and two those are the two biggest ones there's like i think one from like the first one and one from three um, but five and two are like, I feel like the main callbacks for this movie. I'll go into them as we go into each trap so that it like... I have a note here. I, I made a note of the fact that all of the detectives and coroners in this movie are like unnaturally attractive. And that's not to say that the other um, Saw movies didn't have attractive actors in them, but like this really does go into the um, the feeling of it being like just a big, you know, generic mainstream horror movie because everyone's just Where like everyone's hot, insanely good looking for no reason. And not and like I said, not to say that there's like the other movies don't have attractive people in them, but they didn't have like characters in this that seemed they didn't cast anyone that wasn't hot is what I should have said. They didn't, like, every single person appeared to be, like, very physically, visually cast. Um, they're all very talented actors. This movie's very good. There's no part of this movie that I get taken out of because I'm like, oh, that person, like, sucked the life out of a scene or anything like that. But, yeah, it felt like there was no, like, generic old dude, like, character or, like, you know what I mean? They just, every character had to be young and extremely good looking, which was just kind of... Yeah. Very, like, CW typecasting. Mm-hmm. Where it's like everyone has to be physically attractive at like the standard attractiveness, not so much like because obviously, like we said, like everyone. First of all, to me, if you're in a saw movie, you're sexy. So and it anyone because you're in a saw everyone. movie. <laughs> but um, this one, yeah, specifically was like it. It felt very, very movie where it's like everyone needs to be attractive. This movie feels like a movie. I also put on here. That this is the return of us getting to see the jigsaw cutouts. And I was just editing a different Saw episode yesterday and I got to my little rant about the the jigsaw cutout pieces on the, the victims and how I was like, I hate that I don't think they use this in a ton of the other movies. It was like a piece of lore that like seemed like they forgot about. So it was very nice to see that come back, though granted. I love it. There's a prequel aspect to this movie, so that may be kind of why they brought it back, but... The way that I said in Spiral, because it came out so... Like, the gap between 7 and 8, and then, like, 8 and 9 is just so big. Um, and hearing the Charlie Klauser music again for the first time in, like, years felt like home. And so does John's jigsaw Billy the Puppet in this. Yes, I missed his voice so much. His Like, I know they all use the same, like, modulator, but it's, like, a different person speaking. But you can just, like tell when it's him and it feels so good and i love it so much i love him 
yeah, it's kind of similar to like the the thing with Scream with Ghostface's voice. Like it's the same. You're they're all using the same voice modulator, but uh, it's everyone speaks their own way. Like everyone has their own inflection. Everyone has their own phrasing. Um, they're kind of all following the same script, the same vibe, but personalize it a little bit. Do you want to get um, matching build a bears and then put a jigsaw? Yes. No. Okay. Cool. We should find someone that makes like build a bear custom clothes and then get the pig mask and the robe <laughs> yes. and put it on one of the bears. I have a note in here. I don't know if this should be saved for later, but this was one of my favorite details. Um, obviously, we talk about how in every Saw movie, there's the pig imagery used over and over and over again for different things. In this one, we have the pig farm, but we also have the pig disease. And Eleanor says that on farms, when one pig gets this disease, you have to take all of them out. Jigsaw has that disease, so then they slowly have to kill his entire flock, which they end up doing pretty much. I think the only ones that are still alive, Lawrence and Logan, that we know of. I love Logan, by the way. I just, what a good character. Good one. He's personally my least favorite apprentice, but not because he's bad. It's just because, one, we've spent so much time with everyone else. Um, and two, he's just like, he's good. He gets it done. And he, he kind of went away. I wonder if he's going to be in 10. I was just going to say that. I wonder if they're going to include anything about him in, in the upcoming Saw 10. That would be very cool. really want to know what they're going to put in 10, honestly. Like, I, ne I need to know it already. We have no idea. Like, there's, and they're, they're keeping all that shit so under wraps. The only thing we know is Tobin Bell and Shawnee Smith, um, and that Josh Stolberg is writing. And we already know that this isn't um, part of the Book of Saw, like, Spiral series, because you posted that tweet that said that he has no plans to retcon it, and he wants to continue it in the future, but this one is separate. Yeah, this is part of the main canon, Josh Stolberg and Peter Goldfinger's screenplay. We put Max Minghella in it. I just want to see him. Yeah, that's my bestie. I said that I got we got Verona into Babylon Hive. We've also got Verona into um, Max Minella Hive. And you were like, oh, he's charmed me. It's like just dive into traps and stuff and into the ongoing plot here. The first trap for me feels very reminiscent of the necktie trap for the Fatal Five, which is their first one, but also the Ten Pints of Sacrifice. Because in this one, this one, all they need to do is just one cut, one offering of blood or something he says like that in this one. So that made me think of that, but also because there is, I think, five of them to start with, but only four make it because the, the one that's like dead or like asleep or whatever is supposed to represent Logan, but he obviously made it out of the original trap. Yeah, he was rescued by John Kramer himself <laughs> of the original trap, so this one's more just to the side. Also, side note, when they're doing the autopsy, I love the way that his head is sliced. It's so icky and so cool. I know, it was really brutal. And they kept that shot so long too, and they kept showing it, and then it would be, they'd be doing a different shot, and it would kind of be in like the foreground. Like, they just kept showing it, and I was like, this to me looks like it was in the uh, practical effects people's contract, where they were like, listen, if I'm gonna build this thing for like 48 straight hours, probably more, and then paint it, and then like put it, you have to put it in at least minute to two minutes of full screen time where everyone can see it the whole time. And good for them because it's disgusting and they did a beautiful job on it. Exactly, and I come to Saw movies for practical effects, which is why 
in the ending trap, it makes me so angry that they use CGI. I'll get to that later. But Saw is for the practical effects girlies. That's what we're here for. So the next one up is the basically like asking them to confess um, their sins. And I like that the like, again, every movie has kind of a bit of a theme to it. I like that this one is more so about less about the their crime itself and more so about confessing and taking accountability for what they've done instead of, you know, just being punished for the crime, they're being forced to uh, recognize what they've done, which doesn't sound like much of a difference. But when you see the movie, you definitely no. like you understand. It's less about rehabilitation like the other movies, which makes sense in the timeline because this technically is before all of that. So it's when he's kind of first starting and it's more about confession than rehabilitation. And I like that because we kind of see the groundwork to where we got to today or in the later Saw movies. There's a really great moment as they're being pulled. Anna tries to grab the support beam to hang on to it so that it can't drag her and then it's too strong. It's like on a winch and it drags her anyway. And she cuts the shit out of herself on the support beam because everything in that room that they could have used to stop themselves from getting pulled has been wrapped in barbed wire, which is just like a nice little detail. Like they really thought that shit through. They were like, hey, what if uh, what if we like start running the winch and then somebody, you know, wraps themselves around something. They're like, I got that taken care of. Don't worry. Thinking two steps ahead here. Also, this one is called the Chang Hangers, which I kind of, that's kind of a cool name. It is like a cool that. name. I like when the names are cool. This one reminds me of Two things from Saw 2, the needle pit, obviously, because it's needles, uh, and the antidotes that are in Saw 2, just because it is an antidote for... Is it the antidote that's in her? No, it's one is put or two are acid, one is like one nothing. Is, one is acid, one is um, saline, and one is antidote. So one one will fix her, one won't help her, and one will hurt her. For starters, there's that moment, um, and there's also like the traps themselves, and then, like I said, those little details where it's like they thought ahead. There's no hacking traps in this one. We've talked before about hacking traps and like the easier way to do things and that people just don't seem to think to do. But this one, it's like, no matter what they, they really do keep trying to find ways to not cheat, but like find the less terrible way to have to do stuff. And it's all been thought about like two steps ahead. What makes me mad about this one though, is that she literally says the number $3.53. If that guy had just, that's another reason why it reminds me of Saw 2 is because he reminds me of Xavier uh, and just picking Amanda up and throwing her in the needle pit in the way that he just stabs her with all three because he's like, either way, like- That's what I wrote down. I said, it's irritating because it's no longer an accidental murder. Like he didn't gamble with her life and maybe make the wrong choice. He intentionally killed her. They all heard the same thing. They all know what's happening here. If he had just looked at the numbers and then realized, oh, she said this number, let's try that and then do it. It. and I get it you're in like a high panic situation but like you're just making it worse because I get her her fear and her hesitation she goes oh it's 355 and one of them says 355 and she's like but what if I what if that kills me like what if that was the trick like what if I don't you know so I get her hesitation but like yeah he just straight up murders her also I think that's a really cool detail him saying like how much is the life worth this has one of my favorite deaths genuinely one of my favorite deaths in the entire franchise which is again one of those reasons why every time i go to rank it low there's like always something that pulls you back in um this really great reveal shot after he stabs her and you don't know if he got her like right away or not and then she's there and she turns and you see as she turns her head all of the needles sticking out of her like this nice like slow pan reveal the blood coming out of her eyes immediately and then her ear 
on the side that where all the acid and everything is first. And then also it comes out of the holes from the needles. And he, that could be attributed to the fact that he stabbed her really hard and, you know, like a little bit too aggressively. But also I think, I don't remember if this is true or not. I don't remember if I made this up in my head or if I actually did see this like on some kind of DVD or special feature or something somewhere. But that was supposed to be because the her blood turned so thin that it was just leaking out. Like, you know how people who have like, who are on blood thinners, like for their health, aren't supposed to like shave their legs and stuff. Cause you just keep bleeding. Um, that's like what was happening with even like just her needle holes, everything, all the blood was just coming out of every tiny place that it could because it was too thin to. I didn't know that. And when you said that during the movie, my jaw dropped. I was like, that's so fucking smart. And I love just like the little details like that, that they just throw in. Cause like to me or like and the average viewer, like we wouldn't pick that up. The people who know that would be like, oh, Oh, cool and like appreciate it so that's just so cool i love all the little details okay what's the next one yeah the leg wires i said that the no exit door and you know he tries to get out and then he falls into the thing even though it says no exit reminds me of saw 2 with the shotgun door where they say hey don't use this key and they're like i'm gonna use it anyways and then they get fucking shot in the face this one says no exit and they try it anyways, and it traps his leg. The trap itself kind of reminds me of the razor box trap, but I wonder, had no one tried that door, what would have happened? Because they needed to do that trap and then the silo trap to in order for the next door to open anyways. So I wonder, like you said, if they had just been standing there and just like waited. That's something that kind of like threw me off too is, um, and it reminded me of how I feel sometimes watching Saw 2. Um, once there's no urgency, they're not being yanked from room to room to like do stuff. Once there's no urgency, it does really surprise me that there wasn't even a moment where they stopped, take inventory, maybe think, hey, maybe someone's coming, like literally no moment of pause, which really just like throws me off because that would be my first instinct. If I wasn't being forced to move and forced to move forward, I would definitely be like, let's collect our thoughts. <laughs> Let's not touch anything and just sit down and wait. So I was like, there's just, the urgency isn't there. At least in Saw 2, and even then my dumbass would probably stop for a minute and be like, hey, let's think. The nerve gas is slowly, slowly getting to them. But in here, I was like, there's really no, no reason why you guys didn't take a breather. There's literally, no, like you said, nothing pulling them forward. There's no time countdown. There's nothing in their systems that's gonna do anything. You're in a big room where like, there's nothing, no immediate danger. Why wouldn't you just like, wait? <laughs> so I do like, I like the leg trap. Um, I like that it's just like galvanized wire. Like there's nothing really sinister about it. It's not like razor wire or anything. It's just hanging onto him and cinching him really tight and kind of chafing and like cutting his leg a little bit. Um, I do love how it is like the tie-in with the silo trap. I was telling you the whole time how exciting that trap is for me. I grew up in the Midwest in Canada. And so we are very much warned of the dangers of grain towers and stuff like that. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, cause like I lived, I grew up in the city, but um, you drive out of the city and you're in a small town. And if you're, when you live in the Midwest, you pretty much just like go out into the countryside and drink, like that's your activities. So, um, so yeah, like drunk teenagers with like nowhere to be in the middle of the night, you know, breaking into like farms and fucking with equipment and like, like I'm gonna climb a water tower, like, you know, just, stupid jackass teenager stuff not realizing how dangerous it is so that kind of thing is really like hammered into our brains at a really young age so for this one the silo trap it reminds me of it saw too because when they pull the rope in the in the silo it shuts the door 
Simon saw too when Obi's in the fire trap and he pulls the antidote and then the door slams shut. It's what it reminds me of. The The rest of it's new though. <laughs> and I was telling you, I said, like, this is scary. Like, grain silos are scary on their own. Um, they didn't need to include the falling sharp objects. These people would have died in this grain silo either way. <laughs> and I like still cannot wrap my head around this. I understand you explained it to me. I understand this is like not how it works but i'm always like just like swim just like sit on top of it just swim and i know it doesn't actually work but in my brain i'm like just do it god and i was trying to i was like the density of grain we don't you don't have buoyancy in it like you do with water so you can't the grain doesn't pick you up as it lands on you like water does no i understand that but i also just think about like a big pile of dirt and like standing on that so i'm like just do it <laughs> there's a also a, just a little note in here that when they cut back to what's going on with like eleanor and um and logan and halloran and everyone um halloran asks eleanor if she's one of those kinky types when he's like talking to her about her like, I think her after work plans or something. Um, he deserved to die for that only. He could have done none of the other stuff that he did in this movie. He would have deserved to die. <laughs> I fully agree. When you're a woman who has tattoos, piercings, or just an alternative looking style, you get that immediately with any man you come across. It's probably the first thing they say to you within the first like, I was gonna say five minutes, but that's very generous. It's more like the first like two minutes that they meet you. We know. <laughs> we know. I have like 10 notes just spaced out in my note that just keeps saying like, Eleanor. <laughs> Every time she's on screen, I made a note of how much I love her. I just texted you that every single time she was on screen because I was like, this can't be a note. I didn't know that your notes app was in dark mode. I feel different about you now. It's a person. You know that everything, everything that on my phone is in dark mode. Everything on your phone is light mode, you oh. freaky little weirdo. <laughs> Everyone point and laugh. I, I, like I said, I always really liked the detective mysteries of this movie. And I really like this one because you, there's so many red herrings and so much like going on you really and truly like it it's tough to figure out like if Eleanor is like involved or not involved or like Logan and he's talking about like Halloran and Halloran thinks like it might be this person and like there's all these different little like trying to figure out who's who. Logan explaining Halloran's plan to Keith and then that being another red herring too like it just there were so many of them and it really like twists you around when you're watching it. I was also like I'll save my making fun of myself for the end of this but I um was truly the only person in the world watching this movie that didn't figure out the twist until the twist happened which is like just crazy like i really pride myself on having a little bit more media literacy than that but not intentional jigsaw i mean yeah it means they did like a good job because my stupid ass was sitting there like what the fuck is going on so i started writing a really long note about the motorcycle trap so the motorcycle trap is very cool it's extremely original and i really like this trap tying in to what the victim is in for in a really, really literal, immediate way instead of a metaphorical way like most of the other traps are. Nothing wrong with a good metaphor, but this one being the actual motorcycle that he sold someone that killed them is just great. I loved the timing where they reveal this as something that's part of Eleanor's studio, just to add to that red herring. Cause she's like, oh, it was actually like never even, might never have been used or it might've been an original game. And it's just like, oh, this bitch like for sure did it. And it's funny cause Logan's probably looking at it like, hmm, no, we didn't use it. Yeah, he's like, he like kind of fucks with her a little bit, which is like really fun when you rewatch it. Cause he's like, I think you're like reading a little too much saw fanfic there, Eleanor. And then he's like, he obviously knows, which is just so funny. And I was started writing this really long note being like, this trap is the craziest overkill because why is it also like 
hot. It's already like a spinning drill that they're like lowering this guy into. And then you were like, that's red paint. It's painted red. Yeah. It's not fucking red hot, Sarah. I was like, oh, I went all these years thinking that it was like red hot also. No, I mean, it could be, but I'm just assuming it's paint because in Eleanor's studio, it's also already red. So I'm like, oh, it's it's paint. Could be right, honestly. Just Um, adding fuel to the fire. Just making it like, it's like the thing where I was like, you guys did not need to be dropping sharp objects into the silo. If you leave the silo alone, it will kill them. It's fine. I I like the motorcycle trap a lot. My favorite part is um, when he gets to the, the bottom. First of all, dumbest guy ever. I hate that she manages to stop it and he um, takes that time to thank her and be like, help get me out. I'm like, no, dumbass. Like now it's not moving. Reach down and like, you don't, you might have one second left. Like reach down and finish the trap while you can. Like, are you stupid? That would be my thought process. And I love when it starts spinning again and he gets caught in it and dies in it. Um, So brutal. He kind of like catches on it and he like flops around. It's so good. (laughs) It's so gross and so funny (laughs) and like icky. And I just, I love it. He gets like spun around in it. And then he's like cut into little ribbons, little pieces. And we see it later drop down, not him, but like supposed to be him, drop down out of the closet. And the way he's all cut up and like the sounds he... That's another thing I miss. I said that when we were watching it. A big reason why this doesn't feel so much like a Saw movie is because there's not a lot of gross body noises like in the original ones. Like if that had been in an earlier movie and it dropped, we would have heard the like squelchy little gross body parts drop. But instead we heard a little bit of it, but mostly music and like... I was like, oh, no, I want to I want to hear it. <laughs> Show me the gross little plopping sounds of the weird cut up dead bodies. It really feels like they kind of pulled back on the gore in this one a lot. And I don't like that because I like that Saw has like the gore porn. It deters a lot of people away from it and keeps it for me, myself, and I like that. Sorry, I'm gatekeeping Saw, apparently. A lot of horror movies of this specific era, especially mainstream ones, were pulling back a little bit at the time too, and I'm not sure, I'm sure if I Googled for like one second, which I'm not gonna do, but I'm sure there's a cultural shift and a reason for horror movies of that era doing that, depending on who you ask, but I kind of like that we're slowly kind of maybe shifting back into a little more brutality in the- I hope so. In the horror genre again, which is just cause like, I mean, it doesn't have to be in every movie and not every movie has to be that way but to not have it anywhere in the genre is like a little frustrating to not really be able to find your niche and especially in saw like that's what saw is known for like i we've talked about in all these episodes i love the saw lore i love the plot but i'm not just there for it like i love the combination of the two i like that it is more than just gore because there is such a great plot and there's so much to this franchise but at the same time i didn't mean like don't put the gore part in (laughs) it's like they go hand in hand i need the lore and i need the gore hashtag glore and then same with the i'm still not over the cgi same with the cgi i feel like they pulled back on the gore and on the practical effects but they still use cgi for when it came down to it and i don't like that i feel like a lot of the times now in horror movies we're replacing obviously practical effects but we're replacing like gore and stuff with cgi so it's more of like a oh cool look at that moment than like anything else i don't know i don't really i'm not a huge fan of cgi i think it has its time and place of when it should be used but even then i'm not like that big of a fan of it i'm not even a hater of cgi in horror i think that it's a great tool for horror but it's not i can't um it's never a tool to replace it's supplementary it's supposed to enhance them or to do something that you wouldn't be able to do like at all with your physical and your practical effects it but it can't replace your your practical effects exactly Um, it takes me out of it say that as a makeup artist 
because I sound bitter when I say that, but you can't you can't replace um, a good makeup job with CGI in a horror movie. You can replace it in a lot of other movies, but you can't replace it in a horror movie. It just doesn't have the same grassroots feel to it. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, I, anytime CGI is used in place of practical effects, I am always taken out of a horror movie because it feels so fake. And I'm like, okay, practical effects obviously have never been perfect in every single and there's movie. There's some like, bad practical effects in horror movies, but like the first Alien movie, I love that movie so much, and it only uses practical effects. And they're not the best, but that keeps me more in the story. Like, a bad practical effect keeps me more in the story than a good CGI, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. It's like, in this one, technically the CGI is good when his head splits open into, like, a little blooming onion thing. But I don't- it immediately- I'm like, oh, he ruined it for me. I don't like that effect also. Um, I think there's a split second where I always go, ah, oh, cool, every time I see it, and then- literally half of a second later. I, it looks fake, it looks stupid, it looks ugly. It's also so impractical. Why is his skull suddenly soft? Why does it open like a grapefruit? It should be hard. Like it just, everything about it feels like really weird. And like, I don't know, I just don't, I don't like it. It kind of looks like one of the um, zombie things from the Resident Evil sequels. I was gonna say like some type of like alien tentacle arm, like uh, Stranger Things season three, when they all start becoming that blob. Imagine Stranger Things had they done practical effects. I understand why they couldn't for like that thing, but... What an insane budget. Also, like, obviously CGI is expensive and the training involved, like, people who do CGI are so talented. Like, what an insane skill. That's not something that you could ever teach me how to do with, like, endless resources and endless school. Like, I just, it's not how my brain is wired. That's such a unique skill set, especially with how fast technology has advanced. It's also often a less expensive option when it comes to something that's like way bigger budget, like way bigger. If you need to CGI something, it might be the cheaper option. Not inherently, like it would be really hard for like an indie movie. It's going to be way cheaper for them to hire a makeup artist. And their makeup artist may make like the most mind-blowing visual effects you've ever seen but that'll maybe be cheaper for them than, you know, trying to get something animated versus a bigger movie. It might be easier for them to get something animated than have a makeup artist that's like, hey, I need uh, $8,000 worth of fake blood to pull off this thing that you want me to pull off. I can do it, but they'll be in the makeup chair for nine hours and I'm gonna need a budget for like prosthetics. I'm gonna need this and this and this. And then it gets to a point where it's like, it's literally cheaper to just give someone like five, six grand to animate this like quick little moment and then be done with it. Do you wanna talk about the jigsaw reveal? That was kind of where we were getting to in the story there. For some reason did not write about his reveal at all. I wrote about his coffin reveal. I didn't even write about his coffin reveal. All I wrote down was John Kramer coffin reveal. I got so mad at this point of watching it because I, like I said, I didn't figure out the twist. Not even then did I figure out the twist, by the way. I don't know what was going on in my brain that I thought something so different was happening, but I was like, did he fake his dead body somehow? Like, I really was so damn stupid. You could not- No, you're not stupid. You're just <laughs> you like wishful thinking. How badly I misread this entire movie from beginning to end when I first saw it. No, you watched it the way that they intended. They intended people to think like you and not like- <laughs> Not with brains. <laughs> not being logical. They wanted us to all think like, oh, he's not actually dead. He faked his death somehow. Just like, you know, they wanted us to think that. That was the whole point of it. It, it was great. Beautiful. I love your whimsical brain and the <laughs> fact that you 
just have so much hope. Yeah, I don't know what I wanted to say about that. For some reason, all I wrote down was John Kramer coffin reveal with no other indicators of like good, bad, what I wanted to say on it. That's it. There was like, I was, when they exhumed him, I was like, that's like gross. You're not supposed to do that. And I was like, he is a serial killer, Sarah. Take a step back and remember. (laughs) I had a couple things about just like Saw 5, like how this relates to Saw 5. One, um, Logan trying to deflect onto Halloran instead of himself, like Hoffman did with Strom. That's a big thing. And then another one, Logan says about Halloran that he can't get out of his own head, or I think he said he can't get out of his own way. Logan says that about Halloran, but still in my brain, I was like, that's Strom. That's exactly Strom. I think I said almost exactly the same thing. He can't get out of his own way and he keeps jeopardizing everything, including himself. And in the end, it did not help. Um, Yeah, so there's a lot of ties to Saw 5 for for me to this one and and Saw 2. That's what I keep thinking. And Logan, to me, kind of feels like Lawrence, you know, a doctor. Lawrence is a doctor. He reminds me of like Lawrence mixed with Hoffman. And then Halloran reminds me of just like Strom. But at least Halloran isn't telling Logan, I know it's you. I'm gonna get you. Watch out for me because I'm gonna get you and I didn't tell anyone, but I know. He's more just like, so Eleanor, huh? You think it's her? Isn't she sexy? But do you think it's her? But isn't she still kind of hot though? Halloran's a dirty cop and he's a bad cop. Um, And like when I say bad cop, I mean separate from being a dirty cop. He's also really bad at his job. Like he just sucks. And I think this is really interesting because this is the first time in the franchise where the protagonist that we are following and that we're rooting for even in the end at the reveal the protagonist is a apprentice not there's no good guy versus like the bat like the saw people like where you're kind of like back and forth about it you are fully like can't wait for Halloran to die and Halloran's technically the good guy of this story he's not a good guy but he is technically the one trying to find and stop this killer but you are not rooting for him you are not rooting for him to win and not just in a fan favorite way he's absolutely framed as the antagonist for this entire movie and he still is even when he dies because you're like yeah he deserved that logan was right and then i have a quote in here i think i think it's john um i think it's when he's teaching logan like when they're first putting this trap together he says we can never come from anger or vengeance and i love that because that was his whole philosophy and hoffman especially went against that and amanda because amanda as we see in Saw 3 makes her traps unwinnable on purpose to get revenge on people and Hoffman started out that way through anger and vengeance and I like that they put that in this movie versus like one of the other ones that kind of further proves the point that Logan and Lawrence are the only two that genuinely followed um, and understood Jigsaw's message. And you know it's not even that they understood it better than anyone else it's that they did it better than anyone else. They didn't have their own agenda to like cloud them or like got in the way of it and I'm not saying that's a fault because obviously if you're in this position where you have the power to anonymously hurt the people who have hurt you you're gonna take it it's very human of them of the ones yeah, that failed it is very human though so back to the jigsaw reveal well I have a note in here that says I hate a baby death I do it's a very sad ending like thing Anna's whole tragedy for why she's there makes me just like want to curl up and die it's so sad um obviously she was wrong she so she accidentally killed her baby i guess like what they're kind of implying is like a postpartum rage or depression which is like a very real common thing that happens for women not the not a lot of women doing what she did but um in terms of like feelings mothers, yeah um it happens like the the postpartum depression is 
something that's really not ever talked about. Um, and when it is, it's often like not in a very productive, helpful way, which just makes it harder for people who are suffering from it. So I don't hate this movie for framing it that way, because I don't think that they were intentionally doing any harm. And I don't think they really did a lot of harm um, with it. I think that it was handled like as well as it could have been. But Anna ends up accidentally killing her baby instead of handling the situation, which is obviously very scary and tough. She does the insanely wrong thing and she blames her husband and gaslights him into thinking that he killed their baby by putting the dead baby in the bed with him so that he thinks that he crushed it in his sleep. Um, so he's arrested and he ends up committing suicide because of the guilt that he feels, which is just like all of it. It's just never ending like tragedy after tragedy. Um, which every time I watch that part, I'm like, girl, if you're stressed, just go wake him up. Make him take care of it. I don't <laughs> he's know. literally like, sleeping in the other room. But I do like I, I'm not saying I'm like, oh, oh it's no. not her fault. Like that wasn't nothing about how she did anything was handled correctly. But um, yeah, it was kind of supposed to be like a postpartum disorientation, like rage depression thing. And then I like the reveal that she we watched a couple of videos about it, but I like when she sees Jigsaw at the end, she calls him John because he was her neighbor. And he also isn't the Jigsaw killer at that point. This is technically before everything. Does it take place after the knife chair and like that one? Cause that was technically his first trap, right? Cause this is technically his first game. He's already using tapes in this game. So this is after he's established what he's doing and he's already brought on like he's he's already set up one of the other things it's like it's almost remiss to call logan an apprentice because he was kind of like a little sleeper agent wasn't he like he he had his moment in the beginning in this like prequel of it all um where he was rescued and then he kind of he assisted and he understood and he like learned the teaching of it but he really doesn't put any of that teaching into into action until the other plot of this movie which is the current timeline um where he's going after halloran you know, he goes like a decade without so there's this moment when ryan um after john is revealed ryan's like what are you gonna do with us like you know the indignant horror victim and john just does this like little growly chuckle under his breath and i was like tobin bell i'm blushing i understand your mic didn't even i it barely picked that up so that was like your mic was saving me. I called you a whore. <laughs> also the quote, did you know that pigs are highly compassionate animals? That was another little pig moment because we were talking about the pig farm and pig disease and then I like that quote a lot. I just love the little pig, the little pigs throughout. And then of course the reveal of the key being in the shell in the gun. This is why I think Jigsaw is autistic and every person he puts in a trap is neurotypical except for the ones that survive because they're the ones who take it literally which is the way he means it versus <laughs> they're trying to read deeper into it. And it's like, no, he tells you straight away. Yeah, you know, and I almost give them a little bit of a pass since it is technically a prequel. They don't know yet. <laughs> they don't know that he is like very much being literal all the time. I mean, yeah, like to be fair, if you didn't know anything about this guy's MO yet, because he's not like an established serial killer, you might think like, why would the serial killer tell me what to do? That's obviously a trick and I need to do the opposite of that. Like it does make sense. It's a really great moment of Logan editing a fake jigsaw tape with Kramer's voice. He's cutting it together in what looks to 
be a better version of Audacity, which is what I use to edit the podcast. And I was watching him do it and I was like, this is not realistic because if he was doing this right now and editing his own jigsaw tape, it would be crashing and shutting down his computer and it would be making a file size that was way too big for what it was. They just cut out the part where you see him trying to save it for 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's I sitting triggered. there, he's like, he's trying to split the audio in two. He's like, I can upload these just once they're split in two. <laughs> so angry. <laughs> we need a behind the scenes of him just editing. The last note, by the way, that I have here says, this one focuses more on confession than repentance. And then it says, great note, make sure that you credit you got this Zach Morris on CZ's world. I love it. I've been thinking this whole time that I was like, that's like, we're so smart for realizing that was the theme. We didn't realize that was the theme. We brainwashed ourselves by watching that video. And I'm glad that I made a note to give him credit for that because like, <laughs> that is so funny. I think I just came up with the song of the summer. He's probably gonna have like a lot of influence on like <laughs> the next the next one as well. And then all of our thoughts on Saw. His Saw videos are like some of my favorites, some of our favorites. Um, Zach Morris, if you're listening to this and you wanna come on our podcast and be way smarter and cooler than us, that would be banger. Yeah, we only have one more Saw movie, which is crazy to think about. Um, we are recording this episode on February 6th, so it will be coming out obviously much later than that, but for us, we have a long, long wait before Saw 10. It's gonna be a rough, rough eight months, but we get to watch Spiral next, so. I'm excited since I've only seen it the one time. And now you're a Max Minghella fan. And now I'm a Max Minghella fan, so it's gonna, I'm immersing myself into it even more. It's gonna be so fun to revisit. It's my controversial favorite. I think so. I'm very excited <laughs> to revisit it. I really can't believe we've already gone through eight Saw movies and we only have one left. And guess what? The second we finish Spiral, I'm pressing play again on the first Saw movie and just streamlining all nine of them again. So yes, thank you guys for joining us. We will see you next time for Spiral from the Book of Saw. In the meantime, we are on Linktree at WYFSM that has links to all of the different places that you can be listening to the podcast as well as links to our socials and our official Twitter is twitter.com slash WYFSM podcast if you would like to check us out there as well for updates and we will see you in the next one.